Welcome back to No Sleep Sleepover. I'm Logan. That's Matt. We're hanging out. Matt, how are you today? Doing good. Uh, I just woke up, so if, if I'm a little groggy, I apologize. I did start a little bit of season two of Bridgerton. <gasps> did you? Oh my god, no! I was. I did start. So it. excited. We were talking about that at work today. That you know, season two came out today. Yeah. Um, very well. Exciting. Today when we're recording, yes, but sorry. yeah, it'll be out. No, <laughs> no, you're good. I just feel like people are like, oh, it's out today. No, it's been so. By the time this comes out, it's been out for a couple days now. But yeah. thoughts so far? Is it um, like? Does it? Live up to the last season? I mean, for me, like, the show's good. It, it, it's not the kind of show that I think it's going to be like, ooh, it's so good. But I will say they do know how to get the, like, a juicy drama. So, like, it'll be fun. I think it'll be good. Good. So. I'm so excited. I can't wait. You know what I just finished? What did you finish? Love is Blind season two. Oh! Oh, my gosh. This season... Okay, so Love is Blind, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a show where they basically have the guys on one side, the girls on one side, and they do these pots where they just talk without seeing the person. Mm-hmm. And to see the person, they have to get engaged, which is wild. Which, real quick, so, I read somewhere that they don't go actually have to get engaged. Everyone just kind of, like, chooses to. So I'm not Wait, really what? sure how that works, you know? That's Maybe it's like they want to be on the show, so, like, they know, like, oh, we need to bring the drama. I don't really, I don't really get oh, it. Oh, I could see that. But, sorry, go ahead. Um... No, you're good. So I felt like season one, like at least most of the people seem normal. This season, it feels like a lot more like mean people and just rude people and just like I don't know. There's only like two or three people who I was like, like I, I liked them. I liked I liked Deeps. I liked yeah. Sal. I think that was it. Everyone else was like so annoying and just mm-hmm. ugh, and literally frustrating. Throughout the whole season, I was like, I don't know if any of these couples are actually gonna say yes at the altar. Like it all just seemed like. Everyone was fighting. Everyone was just in it to be famous. And so it was like, I don't know. But then I rewatched a couple scenes from season one. Um, what was her name? Um, the Italian lady. But anyways, she was so dramatic in season one. So I was like, was season one just as bad? I don't know. But I do think that there are a lot more cute couples in season one. Like more in it for the love and everything but yes it was so dramatic and i loved it so much and season three is um they've been renewed for season three and i think it's gonna be like in texas so yeah houston i read houston cannot wait for that when's it gonna come to cleveland right we need a love is blind cleveland edition (laughs) i'm ready for that oh god that'd be messy (laughs) they'd be like yeah we're in the flats now (laughs) like fine Oh my god, like Punchbowl Social? Ooh, fine. <laughs> That'd be a big space to film. Right. All right. So, um, I was creative creatively um pooped this week. <laughs> I could not think of anything good to talk about. So Matt has a really, really good idea. Matt, take it away. Uh it's gonna be like Matt reads about true crime. So uh I love true crime. Logan, do you how would you say you are a Addicted to true crime, lately intrigued by true crime. Where do you fall on the uh, the true crime scale? I like reading about true crime. So, like, I like reading about things that happen, but, like, I don't really watch anything. I am i don't listen to podcasts. I'm such a bad white woman. I don't listen to those true crime <laughs> podcasts at all. You're, you're ignoring your heritage. I know. Clearly. I, like, everybody that I talk to is like, I love true crime podcasts. Like, people... Oh, that yeah. I work with have like a bunch that they listen to and so they've recommended mm-hmm. a bunch of different ones but like yeah there's just something about listening to it that makes it so much creepier and like mm. you know it's all because it's it's real like these are real stories and it's just it's so mm. eerie but I love reading about it so I'm really excited to hear all about it today yeah so uh, I picked this case this is actually this happened here in Cleveland <laughs> and this one sticks with me because <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. Okay, let's go. This one's well. The, you're gonna find. I think you're gonna be intrigued. With this one um, kind of set a lot of presidents, mm-hmm. uh, presidents, pre- presidents, pre- presidents. There There's we go. A lot Jesus of presidents. Um, so many presidents, just <laughs> President Folk and Lincoln. I don't know their names. Is Folk a president? No. I feel like there's a Folk president. <laughs> so, uh, no, Lincoln mean. is. Okay. Good job. Lincoln. <laughs> so this has to do with the the murder trial and exoneration of Doctor Sam Shepard. Okay, fine. I don't know if you know this case. I don't. Do you know I this? I think so. <gasps> okay, well I'm excited to tell you about it. Okay, 
So he was born in Cleveland. He went to Cleveland Heights High School. Ooh, shout out. He was active in football, base, basketball, and track. He was class president for three years, which how are you the like, president for three years? That's pretty, like, is that common? I think, like, class president, um, yes. Student body president is, like, for everybody. So I think that's typically, like, a senior. But I think class president, gotcha. like, that's very, you know, you keep the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sam Shepard met his future wife, Marilyn Reese, while in high school. Cute. Um, and then he actually, he was offered a lot of athletic scholarships, but he actually chose to follow the lead of his father and older brothers and wanted to go into osteopathic medicine. So he went to Hanover College in Indiana. Question. Do you know Hanover? No. Yeah, go for it. He went into what kind of medicine? Osteopathic. It's let me let me let me get a little info on that. <laughs> okay, please do. It's the it promotes the practice of allopathic medicine. Okay, Jesus <laughs> Christ, that is not. These aren't words. Good, um, I think. Okay, let's let me okay let me type this into Google. This is so yeah, sorry to any doctors listening who are like these idiots, <laughs> <laughs> these communication majors. <laughs> I don't. Oh, it's um, osteopathic. It's the whole person approach to medicine. So treating the entire person rather than the symptoms. So it sounds kind of like a little hocus pocus. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Okay, cool. A little. Okay. Good for him. It says they're, they're trained to be doctors first, specialist seconds, family-oriented primary care physicians that practice usually in small towns and rural areas. Okay. Okay. So. Cool. Anywho. He went to Hanover, but then took some cases. At, he took classes at Case Western. Ooh, okay. Here. Shout out. And then he finished. Uh, he finished up at the Los Angeles Osteopathic School of Physicians and Sur- Surgeons, and got a Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine, the DO medical degree. So then he did an internship in a residency in neurosurgery. Uh, okay, and then Derek they, He married. Yeah, right. <laughs> he married Marilyn Reese in Hollywood, but then a few years later they came back to Ohio. And to join the father's growing medical practice at what's called Bayview Hospital. Okay. And I don't think it's open anymore. Yeah, it closed its doors in 1981, but it was added to the National Register of Historic Places. So it's still there. Okay. Um, it's historical. Interesting. So. Okay. Do, do you think it closed Bay because Village. of, like, everything that happened in this situation? or? That's a great question. Okay. I don't I'm know. I'm speculating. I know. I'll keep the tab open on that. We'll come back. Okay. Okay. So, on the night of Saturday, July 3rd, 1954. So, this is about nine, looks a little over nine years after they get married, but they go back to high school. So, it looks like they've probably been together for maybe, like, he was born in 1923. So, if they met in high school, what? Like, 40, 1940. So, they've been together for, like, 14, 15 years, let's say. So, on the night of July 3rd. Uh, Sam and Marilyn were entertaining neighbors at their lakefront home, which it says here was demolished in 1993. Ooh. <laughs> so I guess that lakefront home was maybe not up to code. I don't know. So they were watching the movie Strange Holiday. Have you heard of that movie? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, it's this idea of a man who returns on a fishing vacation, finds that America is being controlled by fascists. Oh, just a fun like know, dinner a little... dinner date movie. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> a little red scare, you know. <laughs> um so Sam apparently fell asleep on the day bed in the living room. Okay. Marilyn walked the neighbors out. So there was neighbors over. In the early mornings of July fourth, Marilyn Shepard was bludgeoned to death in her bed with an unknown instrument. <laughs> so the bedroom was covered with a blood splatter and drops of blood were found on floors throughout the house. Some items for the house, including Sam Seppard's wristwatch, keychain and key fraternity ring, appeared to have been stolen. They were later found in a canvas bag in shrubbery behind the house. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of weird, because yeah. if someone would have stole it, why would they have put it in a canvas bag behind the house? Yeah. According to Shepard, he was sleeping soundly on the daybed. When he heard the cries from his wife, he ran upstairs where he saw a white biped form in the bedroom and then was knocked unconscious. And when he awoke, he saw the person downstairs, chased the intruder out of the house to the beach where they tussled, and Shepard was knocked unconscious again. Okay. A lot of being knocked unconscious happening here. Yeah. I like the idea that he awoke, and instead of, like, 
looking for his wife, he just, like, went downstairs where the intruder was apparently, and they got into a tussle on the beach. Yeah, that's very, that's interesting. Don't, don't love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 540, a neighbor received a very urgent call from Shepard, who pleaded to come to his home. When the neighbor and the neighbor's wife arrived, Shepard was found shirtless. His pants were wet with a bloodstain on the knee. Authorities arrived thereafter. Sam seemed disoriented and in shock. The family dog was not heard barking to indicate an intruder, and their seven-year-old Sam Maurice Chip Shepherd was asleep in the adjacent bedroom throughout the incident. Mm. Um, and then this other site, it talks about how they watched the sunset over Lake Erie. Um, Marilyn talked to their seven-year-old, and the two couples sat down to watch Strange Holiday. Um, yeah, and then after midnight, Marilyn showed the neighbors to the door. And then... Yeah, the guy who he called was Spencer Hook, who at the time was the mayor of Bay Village. And so Sam said, my God, Spence, get over here quickly. I think they have killed Marilyn. So who's they? Ugh. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, yeah, so he talks about the white form. He grappled the form. I'm just double checking to make sure I don't miss any mm-hmm. details here. Um. Sam described what happened after he lunged or jumped and grasped the form in the beach. I felt myself twisting or choking and terminated by consciousness. When he revived in the breaking dawn, wet and somehow missing his t-shirt and watch, he went back to the house and called the mayor, um, yada yada. So then at 6 o'clock, 6 a.m., the Bay Village police arrive mm-hmm. and they find Marilyn's body lying face up in bed. Her face turned towards the door. Her pajama top had been pulled up and was exposing her chest area. Pajama bottom had been removed from one leg, leaving that area exposed. Um, so she, her face was all but rec- unrecognizable. They say over 20 curved gashes <sighs> cut deeply into her face and scalp. Blood outlined the body. Um, there was just blood everywhere. So the autopsy would later determine that the time of death was about 4.30 a.m. and showed Marilyn to have been pregnant with a four-month-old fetus. Stop! Okay. I know. So that's really sad. So, that all being said, police continue this investigation. They found evidence of it looks like a staged robbery, or it could have been a robbery. Mm-hmm. But it's Shepard's black medical bag stood at the end in the hallway. Its contents spilled out in uh, on the wooden, I guess, just... Like, someone knocked over the medical bag. Mm -hmm. And then in a den, a high school track trophy of Sam's and a bowling trophy of Marilyn's lay scratched and broken on the floor. Um, They discovered the drawers of Shepard's desk opened, but all in an oddly even way, and nothing appeared to be missing. So then, this is interesting. While police continue their investigation, the best NFL quarterback of his time, Otto Graham, Oh, heck yeah, Otto Graham! (laughs) Just stopped by to see what the ruckus was at his neighbor's home. Otto's wife, Beverly, was a good friend of Marilyn's. While Otto sweated away in training camp, Sam would take Marilyn and Beverly water skating on Lake Erie. So even though the crime scene was not secured, officers allowed Graham to inspect the shepherd's bedroom, which can you imagine <laughs> that happening today? Wait, that's insane. He's like, I'm a football player. Let me check it out. <laughs> I got it. Let me let just get in here. Good for Otto Graham. Um, I know, right? The Saturday Evening Post quoted Graham on what he thought as he viewed the room. He said, OMG. It looks like someone stood in the middle of the room with a big can of red paint and a brush and flicked it around. This wasn't a couple of blows. Oh, no. Whoever did it had to be out of their mind. So the Cuyahoga County coroner at the time, Sam Gerber, and an investigator arrived at about before 8 a.m. And his suspicions instantly were on Sam Shepard. Shepard's account of events made little sense. The neatly pulled out desk drawers were not what he'd expect from a robbery. There did not appear to have been a forced entry. Gerber conducted his own investigation on the assumption that the crime was a domestic homicide. And as a result, he devoted less effort to recovering fingerprint and blood evidence than might have been expected in a neutral investigation. So basically what happened was they were like, oh, it definitely was Sam. And they didn't go the extra lengths that they should have to secure forensic evidence, yeah, which is upsetting. illegal, too. Like... I don't know. I don't know. Like, how? Like, I, I, I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like, but I don't know if there's like, like, but it's legality. Yeah, like, I'm not. I mean, I'm speaking totally out of term because like I have no idea. But it, I, I feel like when you're like a crime scene investigator, what you do is you're supposed to collect 
all kinds of evidence, even if you're like, yeah, I don't think that it's this, just so, yeah. you know, the people who are actually supposed to, like a judge or something is supposed to say, mm-hmm. here's the evidence and here's what I hand down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really like his spot to say, well, I didn't think it was that, so I'm not going to look for that, you mm-hmm. know? I would agree with that. I think that the main focus is get the evidence yeah. and then you can do Yeah, then figure the it assumption out. Later. And then have your whole board with like the red string and everything connecting everything to, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen the movies. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um no, that was good. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> <sighs> so they gathered Sam Shepard's clothes and they gathered that trouser that had the blood staining on the left knee, mm-hmm. suggesting that he knelt in blood. Gerber, the co- the uh, coroner, was over her telling detective it's obvious the doctor did it. Um, he ordered two young detectives to visit Shepard in the hospital room in hopes of getting the confession. Um, basically, Sam stuck to the story. Um, when the one detective directly accused Shepard, um, I don't know about my partner, but I think you killed your wife, Sham Shepard insisted, I loved Marilyn. And this is crazy. Before the long day was over, Shepard would have two more notable guests to see him. Future Hall of Famer Graham and Cleveland's most famous criminal defense attorney, Bill Corrigan. So big names. Interesting. Big names. Very interesting. So this is the interesting part about this. This uh, was covered constantly by the media. So there was a lot in this case that had to do with kind of like the media and their involvement and, like, prejudice of the jury and everything. So, anyhow. So, this murder quickly became an obsession of the Cleveland newspapers. Uh, the morning after her death, Cleveland Press ran the banner headline, Doctor's Wife Murdered in Bay Village. Um, and it talks that... It actually, and the story was sympathetic to Sam and suggested that drug thieves were suspected in the bludgeoning. Which, like, how does that make any sense? Like, yeah. drug thieves? Well, I, like, wh- I, why? because he's a doctor, maybe, like, you know, that's oh. where you're going to get those kind of drugs. And so, especially, like, the medicine bag knocked over. They're like, maybe they were mm-hmm. looking for some kind of something, you know? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. However, as facts and rumors emerged and mixed, the press w- came very hostile towards Sam Shepard. So, um, let me take a look. So, yeah, Cleveland Press was very, they were like the big anti-Sam Shepard. Um, so on July 8th, they accused the Shepard family of trying to thwart the murder investigation. Um, they quoted assistant prosecutor John Mahon, who said, In my 23 years of criminal prosecution, I have never seen such frequent stalling as in the case of the family of Dr. Sam Shepard. Uh, the next day, the press reported Dr. Sham Shepard declined to submit to a lie detector test for questioning about the slain of his attractive wife, which his attractive wife. That ugh. <laughs> um, She's so hot. <laughs> she was so hot. Also, though, like lie detectors are kind of bogus. So, like, yeah. I don't, you know, it is what, I don't care mm-hmm. about that. And then they criticized the pace of the investigation. They said, for whatever reason, the principal problem is that the investigative authorities are slow in getting started. They're fumbling when they do, awkward in breaking through the protective barriers of the family, and less aggressive than they should have been following clues, tracks, and evidence. Mm-hmm. And then, actually, one, it got to the point on July 21st, the press, they had the front page headline, Why No Inquest? Do it now, Dr. Gerber. So they're they're really coming for him. Wow. So they were looking for a motive. A neighbor reported that Marilyn had told her that Sam was sterile from too much time near x-ray equipment. So they wonder if Marilyn became pregnant with another man's child. Um, however, tests of the fetus dispelled that theory. Mm-hmm. Before long, Sam's appetite for extramarital sex soon emerged as a favored theory. Um, they learned from Nancy Ahern, the neighbor, that Sam was seen a nurse from the hospital that he worked at and showered her with gifts. So uh, Sam Shepard appeared voluntarily for questioning on July 10th, and they asked about um, – they learned about the name of a hospital partner, and they were like, did you ever have an affair with Sue Hayes? And he said, no, we're good friends. Um, however, they were more than good friends. Uh, they – it was uh, when they met in 1951. They were doing lab work, and then it, they got sexual and tour encounters in Shepard's car or in the intern's apartment, which – that sounds ew. great. Ew, ew, ew. <laughs> That's yeah. so gross. So Susan Hayes, who he had an affair with, mm-hmm. 
actually confirmed that oh no we were we were good friends with benefits uh the public then really was like oh no he's a liar yeah. with the motive to kill hmm. so uh this is interesting so the Cleveland Press, they editorialized Sam Gruber to hold an inquest, who's the coroner. And so the coroner had an inquest the next day at the Bay Village School Gymnasium, which is my venue of choice as well. Yeah, when you want to, like, you know, talk about a murder investigation, just go to the local school. Why not? Can you just imagine, like, young girls doing, like, twi- like twirls, and they're like, here, here, the murder child. Right? Like, <laughs> like, insane. Okay. Let's hear it. It's just funny to me. So the gym was packed, and Shepard's attorney, Bill Corrigan, was forced by Gerber to watch the proceedings from the stands, which, okay. Um, Sam's account of the event struck many observers and unnaturally detached and cool. Um, like, for example, someone asked, okay, did you run or did you walk to catch, quote, the form that he followed down to the beach? Mm-hmm. And Sam said, I can't give you a specific recollection. I proceeded as rapidly, rapidly as I could. You proceeded as rapidly as you could? Just say you ran. Yeah. What, what do you – that's just, that is weird. Interesting. Doesn't mean he's guilty, but it is weird. Yes. Uh, so then he can – you know, there was more questions about this relationship with uh, Susan Hayes. Mm-hmm. He uh, – here's what's interesting. He stuck with his attorney's advice to deny any sexual relations on the theory that the questions were irrelevant and likely to be ruled inadmissible in a, in a criminal trial. Okay. Um, Gerber, did you and Sue at any time sleep in the same bed? He said absolutely not. The crowd seemed to cheer on Gerber as he pressed Shepard with more specific questions concerning a particular four-night stay at a private home in Southern California. Um, well, I mean, they did ask if they slept next to each other. Maybe yeah. they never slept, you know? Like, was, they just were there, but there was no sleeping. It's just so interesting to me. Like, they're going to do this publicly to, like, do this questioning because, yeah. like, it's this crowd of spectators. It's just really it weird. Just, yeah, it feels almost like... I don't want to say like game showy, but like kind of. It's like here we're nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Did you murder your wife? Like it just feels so gross. Yeah, it does. It does feel kind of gross. Interesting. Okay. Um. So after that, a week after that happened at the school gym, because you know it was party. It was a pep rally. <laughs> Cleveland Press ran a headline on page one. Quit stalling and bring him in. I mean, it's not even like a newspaper. It's just like a. They, they're just focusing so much on him. Like, imagine, like, today. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine going to Cleveland.com and they're like, bring in this man. Like, I don't know. Just That's just not the way news is supposed to be written. Yeah, it's not like um, it's, like, you know, just, like, fair journalism. It's, like, accusing him, you know? It's, like, saying he mm-hmm. did it. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's, yeah, that's not ethical. Yeah. Um, so... Basically, with that in mind, the police do arrest him that evening, mm-hmm. 10.30 at the home of his parents. Uh, over the next two days, two teams of detectives grilled him for over 22 hours, but he did not confess. He stuck to his story. So on August 16th, so this is happening, I think the murder was June? July. Was it July? Yeah, July 3rd to 4th. July 3rd. Oh, you kept good notes. Thank you. I just... So, yeah, this is flying. This is, I mean, this is like a month and yeah. a half. Um, so August 16th, grand jury meets, they listen to, um, the mayor who says that Marilyn told him that her husband is a Jekyll and a Hyde. Susan Hayes, who he had sexual relations in the car and at the apartment, (laughs) just like how they're like, they would go to his car or her apartment. Why his car? Just go to the, she has an apartment, go to her apartment. Anyhow, Susan Hayes, she flew to Ohio, described the intimate nature of her relationship with Dr. Sam. And the the police investigator inspector told the jury he saw premeditation in the many blows. You know, Shepard's philanthropy provided a motivation. Um, he told jurors that there was some evidence that Sam wanted a divorce, but Marilyn refused to give him one. Mm-hmm. Um, what that some evidence is, we don't really know at this point, at least. On August 17th, one day after Shepard's been released from jail on a $50,000 bail, the grand jury returned a first-degree murder indictment against him, and he was rearrested. Ooh. So that, that kind of sucks. Yeah. It's like, like, I'm out. And no, you're not. Yeah, seriously. Because I'm sure that he or his family paid that money, which, I mean, $50,000 now is a lot of money. $50,000 mm-hmm. in the 50s, is that? Is this? Six, I don't remember. Oh, $50,000 in the 50s? Let's take a look. 1954. How much is 50000 worth? Boo, 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 boo. 
50,000 in 1954 is equivalent to 527,000 today. So, so yeah, that's, that's a lot of money to, you know, give up. I'm again, I'm assuming he paid it or his family paid it, you know, they have a mm-hmm. uh, physician practice. So, that's a lot of money to just mm-hmm. be arrested the next day. So, interesting. Yeah. So this is interesting too. The trial starts two months later in um, October. Okay. October 18, 1954. That's quick. Yeah, these days, I know. These days, it's like, okay, we'll see you in a year. Or like even like <laughs> two years later. Like I remember there's like yeah. cases happening now that happened in like 2018. It's just like things are so dragged out now. So mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. So it was the court was here in Cleveland. Celebrity journalists, which I okay, I guess that's a thing. Didn't Rival, uh, what's his name? Rivaldo, Rivaldo Rivera, Rivera, Rivaldo, Geraldo Her- Rivera. That's Geraldo his name. Rivera. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that guy that was rough. For, ooh. Ooh, sorry, sorry, Geraldo. <laughs> um, so celebrity journalists came. Uh, do you know Dorothy Kilgane? She was a syndicated columnist and popular star of the television quiz show what, What's My Line. Interesting, I don't know. She said, the fact that at this stage that it is equally possible for the rational mind to find him innocent or guilty is what might make the Shepherd trial a celebrated cause to rank with the classic puzzle of Lizzie Borden. Oh. Ooh. Um, so the judge, apparently, so there was, she had a conversation, that same journalist had a conversation with the judge. I guess she was called back during a break in the jury selection. Okay. And the judge said, this case is open and shut and that he's guilty as hell. <laughs> cool. So thanks, judge. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, she kept those judge's remarks as a secret until the judge's death nearly a decade later, knowing that the judge intended the remark to be off the record. Yeah. Had she reported that, it would have been the basis for a successful motion to remove him from the case. So, hmm. which makes, obviously. Yeah. So the trial begins with a series of defeats for the defense. So the judge, who, as we know, is like, girl, you guilty, Mm -hmm. denied defense motions to move the trials out of Cleveland, denied to delay the trial until publicity Mm -hmm. could die down. The trial would proceed with a jury already familiar with many of the facts and the rumors. Which, again, is is not ethical, but... No. All but one member of the jury admitted having read about or seen televised reports of the case... And the jury's assignment to impartially judge the facts presented in the trial became further complicated when Cleveland papers published each of their photos and names. Stop. Yay. Oh, my gosh. This is insane. How, isn't it insane? This is Like, insane. on page one, like, meet the jury. And, like... My mind just goes to, like, the OJ trial. Like, they were yeah. sequestered for, you know, like, June, they were hidden... They can't talk to anyone. They can't read mm. about it. They can't look. They, you know, mm. like they weren't even allowed, as far as I know, to be like huge football fans because they sh- they can't know much about OJ. So it's like yeah. you're telling me here, they're just like, hey, you want to know what juror number four does for a living? Where they work? Where they live? <laughs> like that just seems insane. And they know everything about this trial already. Mm. Oh my gosh, I'm oh. yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, chair number one. <laughs> Talk about a game show again. Like, it's insane. Okay. Welcome to the floor, juror number 10. Yeah, I, it is. It's very, yeah, it's bad. So dangerous. You're going to, I mean, it, it's more scandalous. I'm ready. Um, so, um, here, this is, uh, so on November 3rd, mm-hmm. so we're in the trial. The seven men and five women of the jury were bussed to the shepherd home and led on a tour that included the bedroom where the murder took place, the den with the desk and its evenly pulled out drawers, the stairs leading to the beach covered by waves on this windy and overcast day where Sam claimed to have wrestled with the bushy-haired intruder. Shepard caught to a deputy, followed behind the citizens who would judge his fate, and when the tour stopped in the room of his son, Chip, Shepard sobbed at Sam Shepard sobbed at the sight of the dresser of a stuffed teddy bear. So I've been wondering, like, what has been happening with the son, you know, his mom is dead. His dad's in and yeah. out of jail. Like, this poor kid. I know. That's a great question. I don't see anything of it so far. I assume there was, I mean, he had two older brothers and maybe his, his parents. So I'm sure, um, and, and it seemed like the family was kind of well off. Yeah. So I, I'm sure he was yeah, taken care of. Just sad. Okay. Probably not given therapy because <laughs> that wasn't a thing back no, then. Poor kid. 
Uh, so the, ne- the next day, so after the tour, the jurors get to listen to opening statements, which is really interesting. They did the tour of the house and then opening statements. Yeah. But, so the prosecutor said, a reasonable interpretation of the state's evidence will point the finger of guilt at Sam Shepard. He said that the evidence would show that this defendant and Marilyn were quarreling about Dr. Shepard, his activities with other women, and that Marilyn was killed because of his affairs. Mm. Uh, Fred Gramone, who is for the defense, argued that the evidence would not show Sam Shepard had a motive to kill. He told jurors that the expecting couple had just enjoyed the best four months of their marriage. Mm. So the first prosecution witness was Dr. Alderson, who over nearly two days on the stand, two days on the stand, Jesus, uh, succeeded in proving that Marilyn Shepard indisputably died a violent death. Which, how do you argue she didn't die a violent death? Yeah, she was unrecognizable, but like, yeah, it's definitely violent, probably. <laughs> Good job, doctor. I mean, I would like feel like I'm wasting my money if I hired someone to go on the stand and be like, we can prove that it was a violent death. Like, of course it was. Yeah, oh Otto gosh. Graham said that it was a violent death. I, <laughs> I listened to him. Uh, Dr. Alderson displayed gruesome color autopsy slides mm. as jurors and spectators gasped. Sam Shepard, who Sapa was denied permission to leave the courtroom during the slideshow, stood in a corner of the room with his back to the screen. Uh, on cross-examination, the defense tried to establish that Marilyn died from choking on her own blood, but Alderson, which is like, no, she didn't die. Like, yeah, no, that's just stupid. Which, yeah. Um, she was, and but Alderson said no. She died because she was beaten. She was alive when those blows or some of them were struck, because you could find hemorrhages that would not have been developed otherwise. Uh, the patrolman came on in, laid the groundwork for the circumstantial case. He talked about he he had little doubt that he found the fight to be plausible. That you know the bushy haired, you know figure. Yeah. Um, told the jury there was no signs of struggle, no indication of forced entry, no reports that night of prowlers in the neighborhood. Coroner Sam Gerber, he returns. She's back and continues to talk about how the bloody stain on the pillow appeared to have been caused by the murder weapon. Um, says, in this blood stain, I could make out the impression of a surgical instrument. Oh. Oh. Plot twist. I don't know if that's true or not. Defense attorney Corrigan jumped to his feet to demand the remark be stricken. Je- the judge obviously denied the motion because the judge thinks he's guilty. <laughs> Gerber offered two color slides of the pillow stain. As the image of the pillow appeared on the screen in the courtroom, Gerber used a pointer to direct the jury's attention to what appeared to be an outline of a claw-like object. So then they handed the pillowcase to the jurors Uh, who passed it around. uh, Okay. I know. Well, I hope in a bag or something. Yeah, yeah. Probably not back then. They were just like, here you go. Take this evidence and hold it. Yeah. Touch the evidence right now. Um, In a second slideshow. Oh, my God. All these slideshows. Uh, they produced slides showing that Sam Shepard's blood splattered watch, which Gerber hinted might have come from Marilyn as she was uh, brutally battered by her husband. Jesus Christ. So then we move over to the detective, uh, tells juries that he was the first hit by the form going upstairs and setting up the stage for Susan Hayes. Um, There was a parade of investigators, a fingerprint expert. The only fingerprint he recovered uh, was from the headboard that was identical with Sam Shepard, which, like, obviously yeah. that's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what else? Oh, Marilyn had, gro- had Marilyn had group O blood. The blood test on Sam's trousers was uh, group O blood. But, again, you know, that was kind of like, you know, he could have mm-hmm. knelt. He could have, like, yeah. went to her and got that on him. So. so then, December 1st, who comes in? 24-year-old Susan Hayes, referred to in the trial as Mrs. X. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Mrs. X. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. X. <laughs> so she, it looks like she didn't really want to be there. She answered questions in a flat tone. Um, oh, my God. The attractive witness. Oh, my God. Everyone's just Described so hot. In- <laughs> <laughs> it sucks because she died and it was hot. <laughs> Um, so they talk about, okay, in this activities, did you know he was married? She did. Um, and then the defense kind of moved for a directed verdict of acquittal, but the judge was like, no. Mm -hmm. So then defense attorney, Bill Corgan was going to like, okay, I need to persuade the jury that the client suffered a serious injury of the night of his murder, an injury that it would be difficult, if not impossible to self-inflict. So he's hoping that the jury will believe this. And so then, guess what? Dr. Stephen Shepard testified that when he first saw Sam in the morning, 
that he thought he was dead. Touching his neck, Stephen Shepard said there was muscle spasms, involuntary movements. Sam was blacking out, had to be practically dragged out of his house to the hospital. Um, and the Bayview Hospital, which is his family's hospital, just FYI, mm-hmm. confirmed Sam's, quote, injuries. A nurse said that his feet were all shriveled up like they had been in the water for a long time. Um, a radiologist testified that an X-ray revealed a probable fracture of a second cervical uh, vertebrae. And uh, Dr. Foster told jurors he found swelling at the back of Sam's skull. And then Dr. Charles Elkins testified that the next spasms he detected when he examined Sam could not be faked, but showed real significant injury. Mm. So, except for the parade of witnesses supporting Sam's claim of a serious injury and a few attempts to poke holes, the rest of the defense strategy came down to putting him on the stand and hoping that the jury believed him. So... Guess what? Sam came out on December 9th for three full days of testimony. Claimed, we had a happy marriage, girl. Didn't talk about divorce. We had some disagreements, like when Marilyn bought an electric dishwater, a dishwasher with money he thought should go to insurance payments. But there was always, he felt like Marilyn was always in his corner. Um, You know, again, he's saying the same story. Mm -hmm. Um, He visualized, rather than soft forms, he was stimulated to go to Marilyn when he heard her cry. Um, later had a vague sensation of being in the water after wrestling with the form on the beach. I hate that they Jerry keep seems calling skeptical. it, like, a form. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like an alien? Yeah. Or an elephant? Like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I wrestled it's with weird. the elephant. Oh, man. Okay, so the jury is like, mm, we don't know, girl. We don't really know, like, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the prosecutor, ooh, time for a little cross-exam. He got Sam Shepard to admit that while he married Evelyn Marilyn, he was he met a patient in an automobile by a park and kissed her. Ooh. And he goes, was that part of your treatment, doctor? Ooh. <laughs> uh, he admitted to frequent sexual relations with Susan Hayes. He said that his brother helped him understand the need to terminate his relationship with Hayes. Um, he denied that he would seek a divorce. Um, and then the prosecutor said, well, isn't it a fact that you beat your wife to kill to death? And he said, no. After you killed her, didn't you run out of the house towards the beach to injure yourself? And he goes, no, I think that's very unfair. Absolutely untrue. Okay. So closing arguments began just a couple days later on summer 15th. So the assistant prosecutor, like, just ridiculed Sam Shepard. Like, okay, this man is, quote, in the prime of his life, rendered senseless with a single blow. There's no signs of struggle. How could an assailant land at 35 blows while Shepard made his way up the stairs? You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then the defense goes, um, the state still doesn't know uh, how the crimes were committed, what the weapon is or why, and that you have the opportunity to turn back the tide to tell people the nation of the world that constitutional right to a fair trial still lives. So the judge set the jury to deliberations on Friday, and they did not return till the following Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So they were in there for about four days. Mm -hmm. Took them 18 ballots, but then they finally found the defendant not guilty of murder in the first degree, but guilty of murder in the second degree. Huh. And so the judge sentenced Shepard to life with his first eligibility for parole in 10 years. So he was not found guilty of first. He was found guilty of second. So for the next seven years, get ready. Hold on. Okay, I'm ready. Sam Shepard was in a maximum security prison near Columbus. Uh, Sam's mother committed suicide. Oh God! After I know that's terrible. His father died of cancer. Oh that's, my I mean, God! Also terrible. The Ohio courts rejected his appeals. The Cleveland Press editor published an autobiography trumpeting his role into bringing justice. Great. Uh, however, a few developments showed promise. Mm. Dr. Kirk, a California criminologist, conducted a thorough investigation of the home, published a report concluding that the murderer was probably left-handed and used a flashlight as the murder weapon, and most likely was someone who hated the Shepherds. He found blood in the murder room that came from neither Sam or Marilyn. Ooh. And then in July 1955, three months after Kirk's report was published, a swimmer who lived next to the Shepherd home found a dented flashlight, not a surgical instrument, in the shallow water in Lake Erie. Ah, okay. I'm crying. I'm okay. It's good. Isn't that crazy? Oh, let's do it. Finally, in November 1959, a break came. So Richard Eberling, a man who washed windows at the Shepherd home around the time of Marilyn's murder, was picked up for larceny. A search of his home turned up, among other stolen items, a cocktail ring once owned by Marilyn. And so the police kind of took a stab. They were like, 
why his blood had turned up in the shepherd home. They, they had not found that, but they want to know that. And Eberlein shocked the officer by explaining that he caught himself while removing storm windows at the home a couple of days before Marilyn's murder and had dripped blood throughout the house. Same. Um, so these developments in 1961 were cited by a Chicago reporter in a book about the Shepard case arguing that Sham Shepard was wrongfully convicted. So Bill Corrigan, his original uh, defense attorney, died in 61. So he got a new lawyer named F. Lee Bailey, which sounds like a straight out of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Seriously. F. F. Lee Bailey here. F. Lee Bailey, lawyer. So in 63, Bailey filed a petition for habeas corpus in federal court. I think that's where you say, like, relief of the person or something like that. I think that's what it's called. Uh, Basically, he said, girl, this prejudicial publicity before and during the trial violated... Do right, due process of the law. So, on a person, this is interesting. On a personal level, Shepard had a new love interest, a buxom blonde Wait. named Ariane Teben Johannes. I'm sorry, in prison, <laughs> he got a new woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is she attractive as well? <laughs> well, well, they said buxom blonde, so <laughs> it looks like she had great boobs. Everyone's just so um, hot. <laughs> So Irene Teben Johannes began correspondence with Shepard from her home in Germany, traveled to visit him in prison. Uh, apparently, this is interesting. From the standpoint of public relations for Sam Shepard, Ariane Teben Johannes turned out to have an older sister who was married to, of all people, Nazi propaganda chief Joseph Goebbels. Oh, boy. So that's not great. No. Your brother-in-law, your future <laughs> brother-in-law is a Nazi propaganda chief. Oh, boy. Um, I know, right? So more helpful to his prospects for freedom. Uh, this is interesting. There was a new television show that called The Fugitive about an escaped doctor wrongfully convicted of killing his wife. Um, the show was we- widely assumed by the public to be based on this case. The, sh- the show's creator said no. But. So in mid-July of 1964, federal so district judge. Wait, 1964. So how many? Yeah, we are a year. Oh, the, so the trial was 50. So 10 years later. Okay. Uh, so the federal district judge, Carl Weinman, overturned Shepard's conviction on federal due process grounds. He used strong language to say that the 1954 trial was a mockery of justice, quoted the editorials that, that called for Shepard's arrest, incriminating evidence, rumors. Um, almost immediately following his release on, from prison on a $10,000 bond, Shepard married Ariane Tevin jo- Johannes. So they, they got married. However... Guess what? The joy was short-lived because the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, on a two-to-one vote, reinstated the conviction, although allowed him to remain free on bail pending his appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. So, in February 1966, the High Court heard oral arguments in the Shepard case with F. Lee Bailey arguing for Shepard and Ohio Attorney General William Sachs arguing for the state. About three months later, by a surprising 8-to-1 vote, the Supreme Court reversed the Sixth Circuit and reversed Shepard's convictions on the ground conviction on the ground that the publicity surrounding the trial pre- prejudiced Shepard's right to a trial by an impartial jury. Um, and then the prosecutors in Cleveland said, oh, girl, we are going to retry you. Oh so don't you worry. We are Goodness. retrying you. So later that year, October 1966. The second trial begins with Judge Francis Talty, which another great name. Fra- Judge Francis Talty. You don't hear names like this anymore. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Francis Talty. Talty wanted to make sure the decorum prevailed. And he said, there will be no carnival atmosphere in this court, girl. So He said, we're not going to high school gym. <laughs> Question the witness. He's like, the circus, the circus is closed. Um, okay, so. The prosecution, they kind of they retread it a little differently. So they abandoned that whole idea of a surgical instrument as the murder weapon, because that was all that was theory anyway. That yeah. wasn't like, you know, that was just they they did that just because like oh he's a doctor it could have been a murder like yeah. could have been a surgical instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said that Sam Gerber he was a more minor role, so he still took the stand, but I think the first time he did like a two three day appearance. Mm-hmm. Um. However, F. Lee Bailey, on a cross-examination, forced Gerber to concede that he, quote, hunted all over the United States for a surgical instrument that he could match the bloody impression but could not find one. So then also the prosecution didn't – they chose not to dig too deeply into Sam's sex life. Susan Hayes did not come back. She was not invited back to the, to the, the second performance. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, instead, the prosecution read Shepard's statement denying his relationship with Hayes, um, just kind of as like a way to be like, he's unfaithful. The motive for the murder, they suggested, was Sam's philandering. And the new twist of the prosecution's case came when they questioned Mary Cohen about blood spots found on Sam Shepard's watch. And she testified that a couple of blood spots on the rim of the watch were blood splatter, the product of flying blood that could presumably only have been there if Sam were the murderer. Um, so that was the case for the state, which isn't that strong, Mm-mm. I will say. F. Lee Bailey had a counter to this powerful testimony. Bailey had his forensic expert examine color photographers, uh, f- color photographs, excuse me, <laughs> of the watch. <laughs> um, so on the stand, Bailey asked Kirk about the blood found on the watch. Kirk was like, for the most part, it looks like contact transfer. So the idea that like you would contact and like transfer it from the contact. Interesting. So then Bailey saved a trump card on the watch evidence. Blood expert Roger Masters. And he, Bailey projected large pictures of the watch, pointed to just two small spots on the inside of the band that appear to resemble the blood spots on the rim. Um, so Bailey asked Masters if he had noticed, and he said, no, I can't say I did. So I guess the idea is that this blood evidence, he was trying to throw the blood evidence. So um, Bailey, uh, did he studied the transcript, and he was determined not to repeat the same mistakes. So unlike in the earlier trial, he was focused on the blood evidence, he questioned Dr. Kirk about the pattern of blood around the murder room, which seemed to radiate from Marilyn's head. Testified that the killer was left-handed, and Shepard was right-handed. Kirk testified that the analysis showed that the largest blood spot in the bedroom uh, was type O, like Marilyn, but had agulation properties that distinguished it from Marilyn's blood. Hmm. So the blood on the closet door came from neither Marilyn or Sam. So I think so, I might be totally wrong again. I don't, I no, don't know anything it. about law or like medicine. So I'm just throwing these things out there. I think that means that it's like, Oh, positive. Like it has like, you know, a different. Yeah. Is, and so she is probably like, Oh, negative. And so that would like determine it maybe, or maybe I'm just make, pulling things out of my ass. And I know. Agulation uh, is the process that occurs of an antigen is mixed with a corresponding antibody. Oh, okay. Sick. Fancy. Fancy. Yes. The idea here is there was a third blood in the room. That's, 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 which, you know, is probable cause someone else was there. Someone could have done it. Right. That's all he needs to do. He doesn't need to necessarily say, oh, he's definitely innocent, but it's the doubt. Right. Yes. Um, And then two to kind of, he's fighting off these claims of like, oh, the blood splatter on the watch that it looks like that's the big thing. He's like, no, it was just, it was just contact. Mm -hmm. But that also, if it's like splattered, like how do you just like touch blood that's already there and like get Mm -hmm. like, you know, splatter. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. So, get this. So, he wanted to present the jury. F. Lee Bailey wanted the jury to think of a potential plausible alternative killer. He So, remember the guy who was the window washer? Mm-hmm. Who was, and they were like, girl, did you do? And he was like, oh my God, my blood was there because I got a cut. It was just so silly of me. Yeah. So, he was going to go after him, but then he was like, mm. a 1959 lie detector cleared him of the crime, which, again, we all know you can cheat a lie detector. Yeah. So, get this. Bailey suggested the mayor's wife... Esther Hook was angry at Marilyn for having an affair with her husband, the mayor. There is evidence that Spencer and Marilyn were close, but not that they were banging. And that Esther and her husband, the mayor, killed Marilyn. And Ethley Bailey called a bread delivery man to the stand. And the bread delivery man said that Marilyn was drinking coffee with a distinguished older man. <gasps> Ooh. who then the delivery man identified as Spencer Hook. So in support of the avenging wife theory, uh, Bailey got Esther Hook to admit that she ignited a coal fire in her fireplace the morning of the murder and then introduced national weather reports to show that the temperature that night bottomed at 69. So Bailey hoped to jurors that that would say, oh, she started a fire. It was 16 degrees. She didn't She didn't need to start a fire. Yeah, it's July. But she she did it to burn bloody clothes and evidence. Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> Insane. So the big difference is that uh, between, obviously, the first and the second trial is that Sam Shepard did not testify in the second trial. Okay. Uh, so... You know, in 1954, those jurors, they didn't – it was just difficult for them to swallow. I just think he just wasn't really good with people. I think that was probably part of it too. Like it just seems like he, the way he told it was just so like scientific and logical, which as you know, like you, people think of that as cold and callous. So. Mm-hmm. 
So in his closing argument, F. Lee Bailey told the jurors that the real killer was not in the courtroom. Someone was angry, angry enough to kill. Someone who didn't have the strength in her arm that Sam Shepard had, for indeed he would have crushed that skull like an eggshell. So apparently, because she wasn't beaten that badly, like if it Sam was done, it, she would have been, yeah, because he's so strong. Mm-hmm. Why was that person so angry? What would have happened? What had Marilyn done to anger that person? We'll never know. So, the the, the jury went to deliberate. The first vote was eight to four for acquittal. And by the evening, the minority had come around, and he was free to go. He was acquitted. Um, however, a little epilogue for you. Okay. His life had no fairy tale ending. He returned to surgical practice, but with deteriorated skills and a serious drinking pro- problem, he botched two operations mm. and killed both patients. Uh, it looks like he took barbiturates, which are barbiturates? That's like drugs, right? It's like a fancy way to say drugs. Let's take a look. Yeah. Barbiturates. Oh, yeah, a group of drugs in the class of drugs known as sed- sedative hypnotics. Ooh. Ooh, fun. Sedative hypnotics. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, apparently, he evident he had evidence of signs of kleptomania. And then Ariane Teba Johannes filed for divorce in 1968. She said there was a stormy marriage that included threats and infidelity from Sam. Mm-hmm. Shocker. Uh, his his relationship with his son Chip was strained. Mm, Shepard's downhill slide eventually led him to make his debut in 1969 as a professional wrestler using the name Killer Shepard, which is stop. <laughs> so wait, this man was a doctor. <laughs> had to make some money. He was he went into professionally wrestling to get some money because he couldn't. You're a doctor. Uh, your wife dies. You become a wrestler. And you go by, okay. Yeah, Killer Shepherd. Uh, in 1970, he is 46, and he collapses in the kitchen, vomiting blood. Mm. Um, and they fail to revive him. So his cause of death is liver disease. Mm-mm, shocker. So even though he died, there was still the, uh, is not the end to the continuing mystery. Oh, my gosh. In 18, 1989, the renewed attention focused on the window washer, Ooh. Richard Eberlein. A jury convicted him of first-degree murder in connection with an insurance scheme involving an elderly widow he had befriended. Ooh. So Eberling did little to quell the speculation about him as the possible murderer, telling various interviewers that he knew more than he would say about the Shepard case, and even came close to admitting his guilt. However, he died in prison in 1998. Uh, In 1997, uh, Chip, Sam's son, followed a civil suit against Cuyahoga County on behalf of his father for wrongful imprisonment. Pursuant to a judge's order, both the bodies of Marilyn Shepard and Sam Shepard were exhumed for DNA and forensic analysis. Mm. And in 2000, in an eight-week trial, a civil jury reconsidered the evidence of Sam Shepard's guilt. Shepard's legal team argued that Aberlein, the window washer, was the actual killer. They suggested the murder followed an attempted sexual assault, which Marilyn fiercely resisted. Lawyers for the county argued that the 1954 jury got it right, pointing to blood evidence that they said cleared Eberlein. In the 2000 trial, a new potential murder weapon emerged as they present as the Cuyahoga County presented evidence that a lamp that had rested on a nightstand between the single beds of Marilyn and Sam was the instrument of death. They had single beds. A neighbor, yeah, isn't that so 50s of them? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Uh, A neighbor who repaired the lamp and placed it on the table testified, as did officers who told jurors that no such lamp could be found in the bedroom when they investigated the murder on July 4th. Uh, Shepard's lawyers argued that a dented flashlight found in Lake Erie after the crime was the more likely murder weapon, and that blood splatter evidence undercut key evidence against Sam. The jury sided with the county. Six of the eight jurors said in interviews that they were convinced Sam did it. It's the last answer a jury will ever produce and most likely the closest to the truth. So, yeah, I think why I'm fascinated with this, it's this whole the retrial. um, It has to do with kind of like this idea of like, you know, the the, like having the papers involved and just like the publicity. And um, no, it's it's fascinating. And then, of course, you have like that window washer who, you know, murdered someone yeah wow that's an intense story yeah that's insane um my thoughts yeah please i 
think Sam did it. Ooh. Why? Okay. So he said that, like, when he heard screaming, you know, and Mm -hmm. he was, you know, chased after the figure or whatever. My thing is, you know, her Marilyn's clothes were basically off. Mm. Wouldn't that kind of, wouldn't she start screaming then, you know, if Mm -hmm. a stranger was doing that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. Not when she's being beaten, you know? So why, Mm -hmm. how was he asleep for that long, you know, for all of that to be able to happen? Mm. Um, Just my mind going places. I feel like maybe because she was pregnant and maybe, you know, he was having his affairs and stuff, he wanted her not to be pregnant or something. And so he was trying to convince her like, hey, let's Mm -hmm. do an at home like abortion kind of deal or something like Mm -hmm. that. So he could like run away with his mistress, something, something Mm -hmm. crazy like that. And so she was maybe like fighting back that. And that's when things got. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, but here, I feel like, okay, wouldn't there have been one, like, wouldn't, it, it seems like, and maybe they had, I, it seems like none of her friends came forward to say, oh, she was telling me that they were going to get a divorce, or she was telling me that, like, he doesn't want the baby. Like, no one said anything like that. So, like, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I don't, it's intense. I just, it's so hard to believe that. He was asleep on the daybed in the like living room. Someone mm-hmm. broke in, went to the bedroom, did that to his wife, like started beating her. The son mm-hmm. wasn't uh, didn't wake up. The dog wasn't barking. Like it's just like there's so many things that are just like it just doesn't seem mm-hmm. plausible. I mean, I'm sure it ha- it you know it could have happened. It could have been the window washer. I like the theory that it was the mayor's wife. That's very interesting. All <laughs> right, <laughs> but I also. When he called the mayor first instead of calling mm-hmm. the police and saying, like, that they did it, like, who is th- – who? who? Oh. Yeah, who is they? That yeah. was weird. Mm-hmm. There's actually another suspect, too. Um, James Call, an Air Force deserter who passed through Cleveland on a multi-state crime spree at the relevant time. Mm-hmm. And they have photographs of his pistol with blood-stained pillowcase – and the idea is like there's a connection, but it looks like I don't know. It looks pretty weak to me. I I I don't know. I wonder. It seems like this this the guy, the window washer guy who was arrested for murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like what was his motive? Like he was trying to sexually assault her, and then like she was like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that there's even a motive for Sam Shepard either. Yeah, but I, you know, sometimes it's like. The simplest answer is the right answer, you yeah. know? And with the window washer, like, when he murdered a different person, that was for money. So, like, he murders for money and for, you know, it just feels like there's two different reasons to murder, which, you know, I mean, I'm sure people murder for multiple different reasons. But, like, to have two separate reasons just feels yeah. like a lot. I don't know. I think yeah. Sam did it. Like, I don't know. I was back and forth the whole time, but it just feels like. I know. That's, like. It just feels mo- like the most plausible thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's insane! Like I've I've never heard anything about that before. Also, oh, it's so fascinating. Otto Graham, the football player, just like being allowed in the mm-hmm. crime scene—that just blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Oh, sir, it's a murder scene. Well, may I step in here? Yes, you may, yes, of sir. Course, your Otto Graham, please step on in. What do you think? <laughs> What do you think happened? Girl, what happened? <laughs> and then he visited yeah. him in the... What if it was Otto Graham? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Because he also visited him in the hospital and stuff. And it just yeah. feels like... I don't know. Oh. But my... I'm curious. Like, the dented flashlight found in Lake Erie. It's yeah. like... That part of it, too, is so, like... That's Like, wild. that much... I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's gonna... Unsolved. Talk about unsolved. And then, like, the bag of, like, stuff from their house that was, like, behind the bushes or something mm-hmm. that's also oh my god so weird <sighs> oh my gosh Anywho. that was a good well, one well um, i'm glad that you enjoyed me reading a true crime story i think well first of all you're a very good like reader and every like it just it's so in- <laughs> exciting to listen but also i think i like true crime so i think i need to start listening to more true crime podcasts yeah or we just need to start doing more true crime episodes because i really yeah we can this. do this again down the line this was yeah. fun this is different it's very um, dark 
So like next time I'll do more like proper research. I was like a little like sloppy. Too, no, that but, was you know. great. I loved it. You you really seem like you knew what you're talking about. So <laughs> yeah, no, this I mean it just fascinates me. I think it, it like the publicity elements of it, mm-hmm. but then you know the retrial and just like who who done it. So. And the fact that we don't know. Oh, oh, just, I want to know. I hate that. I like when there's like know. a, you know, you put a bow ha- on like it a, and yeah, it just finishes you know. up and it's like, here's the murder. Da-da. When it's like, we'll never know. There's multiple retrials and back and forth. It's just, it's, yeah. oh, man. Oh, that's good. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully uh, people listen to this one and it wasn't too dark for everybody. Maybe it was, but hey. A <laughs> <laughs> little different, a little different. Yeah, I thought it was fun. Oh, thanks so much, everyone. You know where to find us. Listen everywhere. Um, Watch us on YouTube, Starvolt Studios. And yeah, I'm actually going to be on vacation next week. So I will see you guys after vacation. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye.